Well, my wife and I want to thank all of you for your prayers and your support for the past few weeks. Um, Sarah was saying that she could literally sense the prayers of the church during labor and delivery. Um, God was very faithful to us, and as uh, all of you should know by now, God has given us a gift of a baby daughter, Elizabeth Faith Shin. And I'm happy to report that both mom and child are doing well. Um, and baby's doing real well, crying a lot, keeping us up. A lot of diaper changes. Well, the past few weeks have been difficult and challenging to say the least, but I'm sure all the new moms and dads will agree uh, the best three weeks of our lives. Uh, the gift that God has given us and our daughter is truly amazing. And we plan to have uh, Serena and Elizabeth join us for worship soon, maybe in a couple weeks. We already have her praying, reading the Bible. We have pictures to prove it. <laughs> And she'll be joining maybe the next FOF class. <laughs> all, all jokes. Well, <laughs> this week, I really debated on what to preach to you this morning. Um, beginning of the week, I wanted to continue my study in the Gospel of John. But in a lot of the fact that today is Mother's Day, and in a lot of the fact that we have four new moms, they're not here with us because they're, they have newborn babies. They'll probably listen to this through the net or get it through tape. Well, because of these things, I thought it was an opportune time for us to do a study of Proverbs 31. Um, the wife of noble character, the excellent wife. You might be surprised to hear that this is our third time studying this passage in the life of Cornerstone. The first time for me studying it. We first studied it in May of 98. Professor Stitzinger came and taught us from this passage. In fall 2000, our elder Bob taught us um, from this uh, passage and the excellent wife. Well, for, the, for me, it's the first time studying and teaching this passage to all of you. Now, before some of you guys chill me out, especially the single men and women, perhaps even the husbands, <laughs> chill me out. Excellent wife, well, I'm not a wife, or I'm not a woman, so it's not for me. I want to tell you, each and every one of you, that this teaching is relevant to every single person in this room. Today's teaching has direct relevance to every category represented in our church today. Now, first category, obviously, if you're a wife, that direct relevance to you, right? Or the three engaged ladies in our church. I mean, all of you are to be presently pursuing these characteristics of godliness found in Proverbs 31. That you are to be pursuing this uh, portrait of an excellent wife, the wise woman, her character, her deep piety are essential to your marriage, essential to your present marriage if you're engaged to your future marriage, for a God-honoring marriage. For single women, these characteristics are relevant to you because these are marks of spiritual maturity. These aren't just marks of an excellent wife. These are marks of an excellent godly wife. Or marks of an excellent godly wife. These are traits that are possessed by women who are mature in Christ. So whether you get married or not, that's not the issue. If you're a woman, you need to be pursuing them. And these marks have an added benefit for all women. Because they are based upon, they are found, they are from a godly woman. Right? It's not like 1 Timothy 6, the marks of a godly man, and you apply it to women. These are from a godly woman herself. 
Therefore, they have a special benefit in application towards all women in general. Oh, a third group, the husbands here, or husbands-to-be, I guess, too. Um, all of us, all husbands, need to know well these characteristics. Why is that? Because it is our responsibility as pastors of our home to shepherd our wives, to develop these qualities in them. We are the ones, right? Given the authority, given the responsibility, the privilege to shepherd and encourage our wives toward such characteristics. So it's essential we know the goal. We know the aim. We know the direction of the shepherding of our wives. And then final group, the single men, not the final group, fourth group, the single men. Um, are you single men? What are you looking for in your future wife? What are you looking for in your future wife? You know, I'm surprised by the recent surge in dating at Cornerstone. Uh, I thought some of you guys weren't looking. <laughs> I thought some of you guys were interested. Obviously, I was wrong, right? All of you were looking, and all of you are still looking. Well, not all of you, but guys that are not are still looking. Well, what are you looking for? Now, what are the things that you look for in a lady? Guys, <clears throat> single guys, you know, you guys are the hardest to talk to because you guys don't listen, but... If you remember one thing from Proverbs 31, today's sermon, remember verse 30. Please. If you forget everything, remember verse 30. Charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. When you consider the laundry list of things you're looking for in a woman, this should be number one on the list, knowing that charm is deceptive. It is not a reflection, reflective of her genuine character. That beauty is fleeting. Time passes. We're all captives of time. But a woman who fears God is praised by God himself. Therefore, that should be number one on your list. And that is why you need to be listening to this sermon this morning. And then finally, for all the moms here, the two moms, Zoe and Cindy, and all the moms that will listen to this through the tape, um, it is important that you understand the traits of a godly godly wife, godly mother, especially important for you because your children depend on it. Your children depend on it. The greatest influence in your child's life will be you. Will not be the Sunday school teacher, will not be the pastor, will not be their school teacher, will, will be the mom. Abraham Lincoln said this, all that I am or ever hope to be, I owe to my mother. I remember my mother's prayers, and they have always followed me. They have clung to me all of my life. Here is the President of the United States during the most critical time in its history. And what does he say is the greatest influence in his life? A man of learning, of study, of scholarship. He says his mom, his mom's words, his mom's prayers. George Washington, Washington said, all I am I owe to my mother. I attribute all my success in life to the moral, intellectual, and physical education I received from her, end quote. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow said, Even he that died for us upon the cross, in the last hour, in the unutterable agony of death, he was mindful of his own mother. As if to teach us that this holy love towards our mothers 
should be our last worldly thought, end quote. So this sermon is relevant to every single category that represented a cornerstone, but doubly so for all the moms. Well, with that, turn with me to the last chapter of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs chapter 31. Now, before we get into the text, if you read the book of Proverbs, you, you would kind of come away saying, wow, women are talked about a lot in this book. A lot of Proverbs about women. As you know, the book of Proverbs is a list of Proverbs or statements of wisdom. And throughout this book, there is a continual interest in women. The, a frequent uh, woman that appears in the book of Proverbs, she shows up in Proverbs chapter 5, is the adulteress. Right? She is the exact opposite of the Proverbs 31 woman. Here's an adulteress. She flatters with her lips. She forsakes the covenant that she has made with her own husband. She has lips that drip honey, that are sweet to men's ears. But in reality, she is a poison. A fatal poison to all God-fearing men. Not only is there the adulteress, but there is the quarrelsome woman found in the book of Proverbs. This is the loud, boisterous woman. The nagging, constant, dripping kind of woman where no one wants to live with her. Proverbs 21.9. Right? Better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Man, Solomon is speaking from experience, I don't know. Proverbs 21, 19, better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. There is the adulterous woman, there is the quarrelsome woman, and then we also find the foolish woman. She's just foolish, she has no wisdom. In fact, she's so foolish, instead of nurturing her household, building her own household up, Proverbs 14.1 says, she ruins her own household, ruins her own family. And then there is the disgraceful wife. The disgraceful wife, Proverbs 12.4. It said that she is like decay in the husband's bones. He is rotting on the inside because of his disgraceful wife. The adulterous woman, the quarrelsome wife, the foolish wife, disgraceful wife, they're all set in contrast to the excellent wife found in the final chapter of this book of Proverbs. It's a contrast. It culminates. Look at all these women. Now, this is a mark of an excellent wife. In fact, Proverbs 12.4 says this, that an excellent wife is a crown of her husband. Solomon is saying that nothing in this world is better than an excellent wife. Nothing better. And conversely, nothing worse than an adulterous, right, quarrelsome, foolish, disgraceful wife. Uh, with that, let's go to verse 1 and <clears throat> consider a little bit of the background, starting from verse 1. Verse 1 starts out, the sayings of King Lemuel, an oracle, a burden, a speech given to him by his mother, a speech that his mother taught him. Now, we don't know much about King Lemuel, except that he had a very wise mother. Other than that, we're not exactly sure who this man is. Many interpreters are of opinion that Lemuel is Solomon. His name means 
devoted to God, for God. Remember Solomon's other name given to him by Nathan, the prophet, in 2 Samuel 12.25? What is that name? Jedediah, right? Means beloved of God. There's a parallel in their names. And just by the artistic style of this chapter, many commentators believe that it's Solomon. Um, I'm not really sure. I don't have an opinion either way. I don't know if it really matters that much, but um, it is not clear, but could definitely be Solomon. Verse 2 is important. Verse 2 starts out, What, O my son? And what, O son of my womb? And what, O son of my vows? She's asking herself. She's contemplating what advice, what counsel, what proverbs to give to her, only, to her son. She speaks as one considering, what should I say to him? She's choosing out words to reason with him. She is full of concern towards his welfare. Out of so many things that I want to tell you, out of so much wisdom and counsel and instructions, what shall I tell you? She begins by warning him concerning two destructive vices. Her first two proverbs are a warning, are an admonition, if you will. Warning him against two sins that destroy a man's life. The first is adultery, verse 3. Adultery, in verse 3. Do not spend your strength on women, your vigor on those who ruin kings. She's warning him that this sin, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, is a mark against the body. All sins are committed outside the body except sexual sin. This is in a special category and it has special potency to ruin, undo a man's life. Stay away. Keep away from adultery. Don't be female-centered. Be God-centered. Be, be man-centered in a sense. With all other godly men, do not Go near the door of the adulteress. Second warning is found in verses 4 through 7. Against drunkenness. Against alcoholism. The challenges of leadership. The challenges of being a king. You will you'll be tempted to find solace. Either in women or in alcohol. She says avoid both. Thirdly, she exhorts him. In verses 8 through 9. To use his authority for the good, not for evil. She encourages him. Lemuel, the authority, the uh, power, the, the right that you have as a king, use that to protect those who are helpless and to help those who are in need. Verse 8, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Speak up and judge fairly. Verse 9, defend the rights of the poor and needy. And then in verse 9, I think there's a pause. She stops. And then she realizes here, I believe, that the greatest influence on his life will be who he marries. That is true, right? The greatest influence on my life is definitely Saran. I'm sure all the husbands here agree. Hands down. She realizes that the most important decision facing King Lemuel is the choice of his wife. Because she will continue to influence him after she's dead and gone. So she changes her tone from a warning to exhortation and focuses on this traits, the characteristics of a noble wife. His mother encourages Lemuel here, starting in verse 10, to find an excellent wife. And she describes him. 
Awesome mom, isn't she? I mean, she draws a portrait of what she looks like. She highlights five features. First of all, she is priceless. Secondly, she's a great blessing to her husband. We'll go through this through your outline. If you don't get it, that's okay. She's priceless. She's a great blessing to her husband. She is diligently devoted to her family and household. Fourthly, she's a wise teacher. And finally, she receives praise from her own family. These five features describe, highlight, outline the traits of a godly wife, a godly woman. Now, verses 10 through 31 of Proverbs 31 is an important passage uh, in Jewish history. Right. It is inspired by God, but it is inspired in a unique way that is not visible to you and I. Does that make sense? It's inspired, but that inspiration, that unique inspiration is not visible to you and I. These 22 verses from verses 10, th verse 10 through 31 are written in a way that they're in order of the alphabet. There are 22 characters in the Hebrew alphabet. Each of these verses begin with the next character in sequence of the Hebrew alphabet. Verse 10 is Aleph, 11, Beth, right? 12, Gimel, and so on and so on. It's an acrostic poem. Right? The first letter of each of these Proverbs is the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Why? Why did God inspire it this way? Why did King Lemuel write it this way? Because it's a memory tool. It was meant not just to be read or studied. It was written to be memorized. Memorized particularly by young men. Right. So that every young Jewish son could memorize Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. So that he would have these criteria at all times in his mind. And in the <clears throat> foundational years, the critical years of his life, when he chooses a wife, that he would have these criteria in mind as he prepares for marriage. Well, unfortunately, we don't have that benefit in English, but it was a great benefit to them in Hebrew. Well, starting with verse 10, let's look at the first benefit, the uh, first characteristic of an excellent wife. It's that she is priceless. She is priceless. Verse 10 says, A wife of noble character, who can find? Who can find a godly wife? This question intimates that noble, godly women are very scarce. They are very rare. They are not common. In fact, many that seem to be godly women prove out that they are not godly women. Many have thought that they have found a virtuous woman and they were deceived. Verse 10 says, who can find a wife of noble character because she is so scarce, she is so rare, and because she is so rare, she is worth far more than rubies. She is priceless. The rich red ruby is truly a unique gem. And because of their rarity, large rubies surpass the value of diamonds of equal weight. Another translation, the Jerusalem Bible translates it, she's, far, she's worth far more than pearls. Now consider that pearls, 
Only 20 pearls are found in 35,000 pearly oysters. And only 3 out of the 20 are gem quality. So whether it be rubies or pearls, both rare, both valuable, both are hard to harvest and few are found. And that's the imagery our young prince's mother uses to impress upon him how rare, how, how extraordinary, and how priceless a woman of noble character is in the sight of God. Once found, she is priceless. Priceless in value. Not only is she priceless, secondly, she is a great blessing to her husband. Great blessing to her husband. We looked at verse, uh, chapter 19, 14, that a prudent wife is from God. Right? I mean, if you inherit house and land, house and wealth, from your, that's from your parents. But if, if you have a wise wife, prudent wife, that's a gift from God. Gift from God to the husband. So the greatest beneficiary of a godly wife is the husband. Isn't that amazing? Right. Who benefits from this godly woman the most? The guy. In this chapter, the husband is found three times. It's mentioned three times. Two of the three talks about the benefit that he has in his wife. Verse 11, verse 23 Right, verse 11, he has full confidence in her. He lacks nothing of value. Verse 23, he's respected at the city. The whole city respects him, right, because of his wife. And then verse 28 talks about him blessing her. Two of the three talks about the benefit that he gains from his godly wife. Now because of that, men, all the married men here, if anyone is encouraging the wife, your wife, towards godliness, it should be you. It should be the husband. He should be the one volunteering to babysit so that she can study the Bible. So that she can pray. So that she can fellowship with other godly women. If she shows interest in Christian reading, she should be the one stacking the bookshelves with Christian books so that she might grow in godliness. He should be the one leading the family in worship, praying for her, teaching her, encouraging her. Why? Because the first and foremost person that benefits from her godliness is you. You're the chief beneficiary of her godliness. So if anyone is the greatest cheerleader towards godliness, it ought to be, it must be the husband. A wise husband will never stand in the way of the wife's pursuit of the Lord. I mean, he will be her greatest supporter because he will be the one that's, that's blessed the most. Right? In, in this chapter, as he goes through, Solomon, or Lemuel outlines the three blessings that come to a husband of a godly wife. Number one, A, letter A in your outline. First blessing is that he can completely trust her. Verse 11, he can completely trust her. Her husband has full confidence in her, lacks nothing of value. Now, you must understand that in ancient times, a lot more so than today, that women were considered second class, even in Judaism. Right? But God designed them to be co-heirs of the faith. They grew to be seen as sort of second class, and very often, the husbands treated their wives like servants around the household. And because of that, there wasn't much trust between the husband and wife. We read in many ancient documents how a husband will go away on a business trip for two weeks. He will lock away all the valuables. 
You would lock them away because he can't trust his wife. You might parallel some modern uh, families today where the husband goes away and he takes all the credit cards, or no, takes all the checkbooks, right? That was very common. I hope that's not the case in your home. Better not be. One of the things that we read in this passage is that the husband, this husband doesn't have to lock up anything because she's a godly woman, because she's a virtuous wife. He has complete confidence, complete trust in her. He knows that she will not do anything to harm him nor the family. The husband can go to work. He can go away. He can focus on his work. Right? He can go 100% the task that God has given him to be a leader at work, leader at family, leader in the church without any worries about the family because she's on it. She's on top of things. He completely trusts her. Right? She's his absolute confidence in her integrity and her wisdom. The Hebrew word here for heart refers to the mind. Refers to the mind. That's where doubt, anxiety, restlessness reside. The heart of this husband is at rest. His mind is at ease. He's, he's, at, he's at peace because he has a prudent wife. A wife who is loyal, trustworthy, faithful, and diligent. You can count on, count on her because she is dependable. Well, the first blessing is that he has full confidence. Secondly is that in his godly wife, he has a perfectly loyal partner who blesses him for the rest of his life. She is a perfectly loyal partner who blesses him for the rest of his life. Look at verse 12. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. This wise mother tells her son, you want a woman who has your best interests in her heart who will always seek to build you up, whose desire is to make you man that God wants you to be, a woman that will be devoted to you lifelong. You know, good times, bad times, times of plenty, times of little, times of sadness, happiness, sick, well, she's not fickle. She's not circumstantial. Her commitment, her devotion, her love towards you is unchanging. She's solid as a rock all her life. She would do you good. Her love is so deep, it's such purity and power that it never changes all her life long. Where to live for him is her joy, is her pursuit. To all the wives here, that you would seek the highest good of your husband. The highest good. That there are all the good things that you can do to your husband. That the greatest good you can do for him is, her, is his spiritual walk. That you will be ever on your knees praying for your own husband. That you will be his encouragement. That you will be his wise counselor. That you would honor him, respect him. And that you will be the source of Christian accountability that you would even rebuke him in sin, right? Yes, even rebuke. Lovingly, submissively, you will confront his sin and weakness. That's seeking the highest good of your husband. Right? Well, look at the blessings that this husband has. Right? 
complete confidence, a lifetime partner, perfectly devoted. Thirdly, he gains standing in the community because of her. He gains respect. He gains standing in the community because of her. Again, verse 23. Go down to verse 23 with me. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. Now I want to camp here for a little bit, because to me, I think this is such an important verse. I mean, this guy has the respect of the city and even the elders of the city. In fact, so much so, he's one of the elders of the city. Now, in, in ancient cities, there was a little patio area by the gate. Right? Every day, the elders, the leaders, the rulers of that city would gather there every day, and they would decide upon matters, city disputes. It was like an open court. Whatever issues that were brought to them, they would meet, they, they would decide and make decisions for the city. The elders of the city were the mature men who rendered judgment. It was a position of great privilege and responsibility. And for this man, his reputation was built by his wife. The respect, his, the respect that he has is undergirded by her because she is committed to honoring him and helping him. This wife is not competing with him. She's not out there to make a name for herself, right? She's not out there to bring praise upon her own name. Her desire is to honor her husband, to serve him so that he is respected in the community. She is devoted to helping him to fulfill, she's committed to fulfill her role as his greatest helper. Listen. Look at this woman right here, verse in chapter 31. She's not a pushover. She's not weak, without a backbone, right? She's not this like, you know, wrong view that the world has towards women who submit to their husbands. Not at all, right? I mean, she's smart. This lady is sharp. This lady is disciplined. She's industrious. She's street savvy. We'll see how industrious she is. She has several businesses going on at the same time. I mean, she's buying land, selling land, planting a vineyard, selling clothes, overseeing her household. I mean, she is able. She's an able woman, an able businesswoman. I mean, she's obviously strong. She knows how to deal with people. She's on top of everything, but she's not the one in authority in her household. I think the best way to put it is, she's not wearing the pants. He's wearing the pants. She's not bossing her husband around, ordering him around, disrespecting him, talking ill of him in, in, in front of the children or in front of the, front of the uh, community. She's not refusing to follow him or submit to his leadership because, hey, I'm better, I'm smarter, I'm sharper, I'm godlier, I'm more able. You don't find that. How do I know this? Because her husband is respected at the city. He's sitting as an elder of the land. This tells me she's honoring him privately and publicly because men do not respect other men who can't lead their own family. Right? I might be going out on this. I, I went over with Seren. My personal conviction, men do not respect a man if he can't lead his own family and if his own wife does not respect him, does not honor him. Respect, integrity, dignity is gone out the window. If he's not wearing the pants, 
you know, lovingly, graciously, humbly, if he's not serving her, if he's not garnering respect from his own children, own wife, no way he has respect in the community, let alone in this world. But look at this husband. He is respected because look at this able woman. She is an entrepreneur. She can be a CEO of a corporation. She is able in every way. And she respects her husband. Therefore, when the city sees this man, his stock just goes up. His, the respect for him goes up. Because the godly man's reverence for her own husband. Whenever anything goes right in the family, she gives him credit. Right? Their finances are doing well. Oh, it's because of my husband. Right? Their investments turn out right. Right? You know, management goes well in the family. They have a child and it's beautiful, she says, my husband. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All credit goes to him. Right? She's not out there to make a name for herself. She's there to stand behind her husband. Right. Let me give you a practical application to all you guys who are married. I don't know you guys know this, but let me remind you guys. All you guys who are endeavoring to get married, maybe in your courting, even your single people. My premarital counseling, one of the key things I say is, to them is, it's a dance, guys. You and your wife are dancing. You'll be dancing. And you're leading the dance, and she's following. It's supposed to be graceful. You're not counting. One, two, three. One, two, three. <laughs> It's a graceful, beautiful thing when a husband and wife dances together. How does the uh, wife, how does the husband wife dance? She dances by submitting to him, following his lead, and giving him credit, saying, what a great dancer my husband is. We talked about this. How does the husband dance? He dances by praising his wife. And we'll get to that in the later of the chapter, right? You lead the dance by praising her one-on-one. -on -one. Man, I appreciate this about you. Man, you're so good. You're not lying. You're not flattering. You're telling the truth. You're recognizing what God is doing in her life. Because God is working and developing and, and, and causing her to grow. You praise her in private. You praise her before the children. You know, your mom, you're just so blessed to have a mom like her. You're just, you're just, you won the lottery because to have a mom like her. Thirdly, before friends, co-workers, for the community, you praise your wife. Show your devotion publicly that you are a one-woman man. He adores and cherishes her with every opportunity. That's the dance that I believe this passage is talking about. Right. Well, this noble wife, she is priceless, a great blessing to her husband. Thirdly, she is diligently devoted to her husband, to her household. She is diligently devoted to her family and household. I had another point, another way to articulate this line. If I were to re-articulate this point, it would be, she is not lazy. Right? She is not lazy. A godly woman is not lazy. Period. Right? You see this woman, her devotion, her diligence is remarkable. First of all, her diligent, diligent devotion to her family in verse 13, you see her making clothes out of wool, flax, or linen, right? I mean, she's working to clothe her family from the base materials. There is no place in her life for self-indulgence, no place for laziness, no place for inactivity. She is full of energy, and the focal point of her energy is towards her family, towards her husband and children. 
She doesn't complain. She doesn't do this begrudgingly. In fact, she finds joy in this labor. Why? Because she loves the people for whom she does it. Her love for her husband, her love for her children drive her service, her tireless service in the home. Right? I mean, no one's seeing this. Right? There's no spectators. In the confines of her home, she's tirelessly serving because of her love for them. The Syriac version of this, ver of this verse says this, Her hands are active after the pleasure of her heart. Her hands are active after the pleasure of her heart. So it is not an unwilling thing that she is doing. She loves her work because she loves her family. She loves her husband. The value is connected to who she does it for. She has deep devotion towards them. So even the most menial task of selecting wool and linen, she does it tirelessly because she knows this is going to clothe my husband. This is going to clothe my children. Not only that, verse 14, she's like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She's not giving a microwave TV dinners. Right? She's not picking up some burgers on the way home. Right? It talks about the journey that it took to bring quality food in ancient times. They would have to go on, literally walk a distance to bring quality food. She's not feeding leftovers. Fresh food, healthy food all the time. And that's the work of this godly woman. Verse 15 talks, about, talks more about our devotion as a homemaker. She gets up while it is still dark. She provides food for her family and for her servants. And before, the, before dawn, she's up. And she's serving her, house, her, serving her family. Secondly, diligently she is devoted to her household. Now she is diligent to her family, but also the household. Economy, right? The, the root word means overseeing one's household. We see her diligently devoted to the welfare of her household, financially particularly. As I said, she's an entrepreneur. Verse 16, she sees a land. She considers the, uh, the current rate of selling price of land. She, she knows the, the increase of the property value in this area, and she considers it and she buys it. Right? She buys it. She considers it, thinks it through, and she makes the purchase. A very enterprising lady. Right? She, she purchases a field, and she knows that she has enough to plant a vineyard. Verse 16. She plants a vineyard. She's got another enterprise going. Right? And then, verse 24, she makes linen garments on top of that, and she sells them. She supplies merchants with sashes. I mean, this lady is not a one-dimensional, stuffy, quiet woman staying at home, right? Just wasting time. No. She is priceless. She's a source of immeasurable blessing to her husband. She is diligently devoted to her family and household in all these ways. Not only that, number four, she is a wise teacher. She is a wise teacher. Proverbs 31:26. she speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Right. You know, they had that um, mothers-to-be fellowship uh, with the four moms and uh, other uh, new moms of our church. And Sarim was sharing with me what uh, Cindy shared in that group, that caring for a child is so difficult that the one thread is that it'll take away from your personal walk with Christ. That you need to be, you need to be committed to learning and growing and studying the Word of God. Because if you're not on top of things, that'll easily 
be set aside, be easily neglected. It is so important that moms know theology, that they know doctrine, that they are reading the, the, the Christian thinkers and Christian books and, 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 and fellowshipping and in prayer. Why? Because she is the child's greatest and most influential teacher. Right? I mean, just by the sheer fact that she spends more time with him or her, the child, than anyone else. Just by the fact of just her role in the family. And it's imperative that she be wise. That she has faithful instruction on her tongue. That is why it is said that the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. And who rules the world? Moms. I mean, who raised all these leaders, all these men? Mom, right? G. Campbell Morgan, if you don't know him, one of the great Christian leaders, Christian pastors of the past century. Um, his, all his three brothers, he had three brothers, they were all preachers. The youngest brother, someone asked him, Who was a great, who's the greatest preacher in your family? You know what he said? My mother. Right? She's the greatest preacher. Why? She produced four preachers. Right? You know, who do we learn our Bible teaching from? Where do we learn our doctrine? Not FOF class in church, on our mother's knees. Right? She's the greatest preacher in our family. Right? Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, I cannot tell you how much I owe to the solemn word of my good mother. E.W. Right? E. Caswell said, quote, The mother, more than any other, affects the moral and spiritual part of the children's character. She is their constant companion and teacher in formative ears. The child is ever imitating and assimilating the mother's nature. It is only in afterlife that men gaze backward and behold how a mother's hand and heart of love molded their young lives and shaped their destiny." End quote. She must be and she is a faithful teacher. She is wise. And finally, Final trait of an excellent wife is that she receives praise from her own family. She receives praise from her own family. Because she is priceless, because of the blessing she is to her husband and the children, because of her diligent devotion to them, her tireless work, and because she's a faithful teacher, she receives praise from her own family. Verse 28, her children rise up and they bless her. Her husband also, the whole family gathers around and they praise her. And what do they say? Many women have done great things. There are many noble women in the world, but you surpassed them all. You excel them all. And therein lies the reward of an excellent wife. Her satisfaction comes from the people she loves most. She gives everything towards the, her family. And what does she get back? She receives praise from her family. They reverence her. They literally honor her. They hold her in high esteem, especially her husband. Right. That's how it ought to be. And you will find this. As children grow older and older, they will appreciate the excellent wife, more and more and more. Right. She is constantly before their eyes. Her tender guidance, her wise counsel, her loving discipline, her holy example, her hard work, her unselfish giving, all of these things never cease. 
to fill the memories of our children. And they relive that as they raise their own children. Man, going through this, this was Serene. As she goes through this, she's remembering her mom. I remember my mom staying up when I was sick. I remember her mom's example of reading the Bible. I mean, she heard the memory of her mom's piety is relived as she raises her daughter. Right. And her, that righteousness is passed from generation to generation. Where the family prays and honor their mom, the husband, his wife. Women, ladies, let me tell you, no woman in the workplace can ever have that kind of influence. No woman in the workplace will ever have that kind of satisfaction. You work 30 years for Microsoft, and you quit, don't still make computers. Oh no, she's gone, what are we going to do? You stop working for AT&T, phones will continue to ring. After 30 years of, of devotion to them, you know what you'll get? Maybe a watch, I don't know. Maybe a good pension plan. Maybe a good going away party, right? You're retiring. But a godly wife receives praise from her own family. Even the world knows this. Jane Swift, governor of Massachusetts, she dropped out of her gubernatorial race in March. Why? She had given birth to twins. And she had a three-year-old as well. She said between parenting and campaigning, no competition. Governor of Massachusetts, she quit. Because she wanted to devote herself to her family. Candace Olson, she's a chief executive officer of the women's website, iVillage. She left in year 2000 so that she can be a full-time mom to her children, seven and eight years old. Patty Stonecipher, Microsoft's top female executive, quit her all-absorbing career in 1997 to spend more time with her family. President Bush's most trusted confidant, Karen Hughes, described by some as the most powerful woman in government in the history of the United States, the most powerful woman in the government. His most trusted aide, she quit two weeks ago, leaving her influential White House post because why? Her commitment to her own family. Uh, Mrs. Mary Frances Winters, a columnist for USA Today, wrote this in May 10th, this past Friday. She wrote, as I watched my daughter walk across the stage this month to receive her degree in electrical engineering from Georgia Tech, I could not help but think how quickly the time had gone by and how much of her growing up I missed because I was so busy launching and managing my small business. She asks herself, can we have it all? She said, consider, do we need it all? Do our wants exceed our needs? And then she ends by saying, I know that mine did. If there is one thing I regret in my life is that I did not make my family the most important priority during my children's early years. Well, as these, men have, these women have shown, Hughes and others, uh, who have given it up for, for their family, it's never too late. It is never too late to put family first. The godly wife leaves a lasting legacy of praise and honor. Generation after generation praise her because of her example of devotion to God and family. And the conclusion is found in verse 30. Charm is deceptive. Lemuel, don't look at charm. Don't look at beauty. It's fleeting. Don't look at the externals. 
But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Lemuel's mother says to him, Find the woman who fears the Lord. Therein is the beginning of wisdom. And this concludes the book of Proverbs. I don't think I'm stretching it to say that by its position, God is saying this is the height of wisdom. The culmination of wisdom is found in a virtuous woman serving her home diligently devoting herself to her family. That's wisdom in action. If you want to see wisdom, go look at a godly wife, a virtuous woman. See, see her living her life, ebb and flow, day in, day out. Therein lies the epitome of wisdom and is found in her. Let's pray.